Coming up on another episode of the Front Page Football Podcast, we've got another very special interview for any Brisbane Raw fans that are tuning in um, today. A very, very special interview for you guys in particular. It's the Brisbane Raw Chief Operating Officer, Zach Anderson, who joined me and Matt Olson on the podcast. Very good hour-long chat discussing all things about him and Casper Tafta and their new project uh, that they are undertaking at the Brisbane Raw. All sorts of things from their football strategy, um, from the stadium situation in in Brisbane, which we saw, of course, Casper Tafta make a very public statement about that recently uh, ahead of the Australia Cup final. All sorts of stuff um, to break down and uh, a very honest and transparent uh, interview with Zach in particular. So hope you enjoy it. Um, very much appreciate Zach's time to come on ahead of what is undoubtedly a busy period and during a busy period for the club you can imagine with the a-league seasons kicking off and by the way how good the a-league seasons are back fantastic to have it all back and and underway but without further ado that's enough from me let's get into the podcast with myself zach anderson and matt olson Welcome back to another episode of the Front Page Football Podcast. It's been a while, but we are back. And uh, today we have a very special guest joining us um, right before the A-League men's season kicks off as well. It's very, very good timing. And it's none other than the Brisbane Raw Chief Operating Officer, and that is Mr. Zach Anderson. Zach, uh, before I introduce the other person on the podcast, Zach, first of all, how are you? How are you going? Fantastic, Christian. Thanks so much for having me on, mate. I, I really appreciate it. No problems at all. And also joining the podcast tonight is Matt Olson, all the way over in WA. Matt, how are you going? Yeah, good. Um, there was a famous quote by Sir Arthur George when the Socceroos qualified for the World Cup in 1974. He said, one thing that soccer is known for is the correct glorification of the officials and the administrators of the game. So it is lovely to chat with someone like Zach ahead of the A-League season. That's pretty uh, funny. I think we should just stop the podcast right there, guys. That's, that's, what a cold call, huh? That's a, that's a great cold open. Just unbelievable stuff. Just pulls it out. Fantastic. Um, all right. It was not, I'm, I'm stumped now. Uh, but no, let's, uh, let's, let's get into it. Um, cause yeah, Zach, we do have plenty, plenty of things we want to throw at you and, and get your thoughts on. Um, so came on board. Chief Operating Officer, head of this season, uh, with Kaz uh, Patafta, of course, as a CEO too. Um, just just give us a, a brief kind of um, background into kind of how it came about, um, you know, how that process went, and then kind of, you know, were you, I guess, were you and Kaz l- looking for an opportunity like this for a while? Were you waiting for something to come up? Um, just give us a bit of a background into how, how it all unfolded. No, thank you so much for the for the opportunity to to be on the show and um and and firstly congratulations on on the pod. Um, I know a lot of football people enjoy listening to to people like yourselves who are passionate about the game. So, you know, really really excited to be on with you both. But yeah, no, the, my journey to 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 where we are today has been um you know pretty quite an eventful one. Obviously, went through 
my own uh, footballing chapter, um, playing professional, playing professional football. Um, really enjoyed uh, the opportunity to to play overseas, and I think that that experience to go overseas um, really kind of opened up, uh, you know, a, a different level of ambition to kind of grow my skill sets, grow my experience, grow my network both in football and, and outside of football. And I kind of got to a point within my career where I got, yeah, I guess, a little bit itchy to kind of look beyond uh, the football pitch. So um, whilst I was in Singapore playing, um, I started to prepare for, for life after football. And, and that for me was more around finance, more around um, setting up my investment firm. Um, and I took the time whilst being over in Singapore to, to further my education. And I always had a little bit of a, an eye to come back to football once leaving. Um, didn't necessarily think it would happen this quickly, but I guess um, always just had a passion for the game. And for me, it's 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 bigger than um, my own career. It's about really about making change in in Australian in, in Australian football. And it's not necessarily about being right or wrong. It's just about being authentically myself. Um, and um, just really having a passion for dra- for driving the game forward in Australia. So, you know, when um, meeting the directors of, of Brisbane Raw earlier this year, um, I outlined what I thought um, uh, the vision should be for Brisbane Raw and, and, I, and necessarily, you know, a lot of things that I believe the game could improve um, uh, in Australia. And so I uh, went through my own process with the directors of Brisbane Raw for a few months, did my own due diligence, both... Um, you know, from, from, you know, uh, a quite a subjective standpoint, um, you know, obviously an external standpoint at the time, but really just thinking around strategy, you know, how we could be, you know, more progressive, how we could disrupt the, the model in Australia. And, um, I, I then, you know, introduced the directors to Kaz Patafta, who, um, has had his own journey, uh, in football and then as a corporate lawyer. Um, and uh, we we came together and and, and presented a plan and a, and a strategic path forward for Brisbane. And um, after receiving the green light and, and coming in, and and this is I believe my my eleventh week at the club, um, we've you know we've had to remain patient, but um, we're trying to make you know a lot of change. And um, it really just it really stems back to um, having a clear DNA, really being deliberate in in what we want to achieve um and 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 you know we can dive a little bit deeper into into what that is on 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 the on the conversation tonight but for me it's a, a little bit of a, a full circle moment uh to be a player to be coming back but for me it's all about the passion about improving football in the country and you mentioned a lot of things that you want to change uh and you mentioned that's 11 weeks so how how do you feel like i guess you're progressing with those changes and also is it a difficulty where you want to make so much change? You see so many areas maybe that you think you can, um, as you said, disrupt the model, um, but there is that element of patience that's, I guess, required as well? No, absolutely. Let's let's take a step back here. With all humility, I wouldn't be in the position that I am today if the club wasn't in a distressed state, right? So um, coming in, I realized that. I understood that there was a lot of changes that need to be made and you can't um, get everything done in a day. However, there are some key priorities that needed to be taken care of and the first one that we needed to get right was the finance. Um, the club had been going over budget year after year. Our owners had been 
um, going into their pockets year after year and it was just unsustainable. And so from a football club's perspective, we had to come together, Kaz and I, and be very clear on what was our cash flow visibility, what were the budgets that we wanted to stick by, and then really build a plan for the next 12 to, to 48 months around that, that, that cash flow visibility and that, and that financial structure. So once we got on top of the finance, then we really um, started to, we really needed to start to build the DNA of our football club. Now, the DNA, DNA of our football club, the, the key pillar for us that we, this club's been missing for a long time and, it, and, it, and it's a competitive advantage to football over every other code is that we can sell players. And it's been something that um, has been spoken around a, a lot over the, you know, the last couple of years, but clubs do it all over the world, you know, and I don't believe that it's something to be scared of. It's, I, I believe it's actually something to be, to be, to actually embrace and be proud of. So, um, Kaz and I made it, um, very clear to, to, to the organization that every decision that we make moving forward will be based around being a net exporter of talent. And we need to be identifying, nurturing and developing young talent. And so that is the core of everything that we do. That is the core of the decision making now with recruitment. It doesn't mean that we're going to have a first team built around 15 and 16 year olds, mm-hmm. but it's a, it's, it's about focusing on, well, if we're going to bring visa plays in and we're going to sign good senior pros, those players have to understand what we're trying to achieve here. And that is to bring in the best young talent, give them an opportunity to play, embrace, um, and be themselves, um, and give them a platform to express. And I think that, um, being from Queensland, um, being a Queenslander, there's nothing more that Queenslanders love than being, having that tribal instinct, um, come out. And, and we love getting around, uh, the next generation of talent. So, um, that is the clear DNA of the football club. And we will make decisions, um, based around that DNA, DNA moving forward. One thing I guess that sort of I think of when you say that, Zach, is that historically speaking, and of course, you know, you're not necessarily involved all the way throughout uh, the system and, and, and the pyramid just being with the Roy yourself, but Queensland, and we go, we go through the same thing in Western Australian football as well. You have such a, a big state there where there's all, there's all sorts of logistical problems coming in. And in terms of getting a lot of the academy setups and a lot of those logistics in place, I mean, Queensland is a, is a state where you're going to struggle with finding that talent and putting that whole product together, right? So for you, you know, in, in your mind of how you go about trying to get those transfers in place, what's step number one to, to put it simply? Okay. So in, in my opinion, Brisbane Raw for a long period of time was actually the reason why talent wasn't being developed and nurtured. If I dive into that point, we had an academy that wasn't producing talent. When talent was being produced in Queensland was when you had the QAS and you had the AAS and naturally the talent was getting funneled through those programs into, at the time, the National Youth League. The National Youth League then was a environment where players could go in and compete against other A-League you know, clubs in that youth environment and then get exposure to first team. So once the National Youth League was repealed and and players started to go back to MPL land, um, this pathway, especially in Queensland, was completely lost and fractured. And so Brisbane Raw, for a long period of time, was extremely under-resourced, trying to um, hold on to a, an academy with really sub-core coaching and development. And so you had a pathway that was fractured 
be able to pathway with that players, boys and girls, got to a point where there was just no light at the end of the tunnel. And for us coming in now, being extremely open and honest with with um, our supporter base, we know that if we want to implement this DNA and this plan, we have to work really closely with local NPL clubs and with Football Queensland. So the way that we see it is if Football Queensland have the resources and they are the best at developing youth talent, we need to be the 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 pathway for those Queensland talented boys and girls to have an opportunity to go and play professional football. So from 14s, 15s, 16s, the way that we see it is we will be the natural progression. And it, at the end of the day, we don't have you know five or six youth teams at the moment. We just have the two. We have an NPL team and under 23. So of course, it still comes down to subjective selection. You know, in my career, guys, I had one or two coaches that liked me, but I played for 10 years. You don't need every coach to like you. You really only need you know, a couple of coaches to really like you to give you an opportunity because it is a game of opinions, right? However, there needs to be that pathway and that had been fractured for so long. And so the way that we see it with the resources that we have, of course, we'd love to be able to resource up and be able to build that full academy out again like some elite clubs do because i do think it's super important to be able to provide that pathway to be actually monitor talent to monitor the data um however the way that we see it especially with the relationships that kaz and i have with football queensland it's imperative when you think about even what football queensland's remit is and that is to um get players into national teams for example we want to do the same thing we want our players to play in the national team so we are closely aligned to FQ. We want to work with Football Queensland and local clubs, and we don't want it to be a take-take relationship. We don't want to see us going into MPL land and just taking talent out after local clubs develop maybe that talent for five to ten years. We want to go and work with clubs and say, well, what is the commercial benefit to these local clubs? Are local clubs seeing benefit from developing those players and then providing us their talent so that's the way Kaz and I are thinking we're very kind of commercially minded in the way that we approach things because we don't want to be seen as that big arrogant A-League club that just goes and takes talent all the time mm. do you feel so you mentioned you mentioned the the lack of a national youth league of course and this subject is always going to kind of come up when we're talking about youth development in the country um so I think it's yeah, personally, I think it's it's a great idea to yeah definitely work closely with the local clubs and work closely with the state federation. Do you feel like you are kind of not forced into doing that, but like you have to look down that alleyway because there doesn't seem to be much progression in in maybe a national youth league returning? Are you hoping that conversations around that start to intensify a bit more? I do believe that the national youth league will come back. Of course, it does come back to the commercial viability of all of these leagues and all of the way that it's structured and the logistics. Now, if we if we look at the National Second Division, for example, great concept, great idea. Um, are there enough local clubs that are ready to step up um, and to be able to logistically work across the country? Maybe not. However, the planning and the time that it will take to get us there um, – it's great that that's been initiated and it's great that we're starting to have the conversation and it just gives players, coaches, administration more opportunity and we need it. You know, I do believe that at some point it'd be fantastic to have, you know, more of those really ethnic, passionate, you know, with 
we played against Melbourne Knights in the Australian Cup. Mm. You know, 5,000 people um, out at Sunshine in Melbourne. Like, unbelievable night. And that, for me, was football, what football's all about in this country. And for me, it's actually where we got to go back to. You know, everyone doesn't want, no one wants to talk about the NSL days. The NSL, NSL days produced some of the best talent this country's ever seen. And it was played at local grounds that didn't have the infrastructure that Amy Park or Suncorp Stadium has. However, the talent and the atmosphere, the match day product, the passion and the loyalty to those the, those clubs was incredible. And, it was, and, and, and I almost feel we need to go back a step to go two steps forward. And so for Kaz and I, the reason why we need to come go to Suncorp Stadium, for example, this year is that we had to come back to Brisbane. Um, but we don't actually want to play in big stadiums. We want to actually get out of the big stadiums and play in small stadiums to really build that match day experience, right? So to kind of go back to, you know, your questioning around, um, you know, are we forced into, um, you know, looking at, you know, how we work with state feds and how we work with local clubs? Of course, you know, we don't have the resource and capabilities to go and build an academy from 12 to 18. But you know what? Nor do we really want to right now because, I don't have any interest as a as as a club to go and compete with local clubs. I don't want to. And that was one of the things that was fractured. Our club was competing with local clubs every weekend. And so how are you going to go and convince those boys and girls to come support us on the weekend if we're trying to beat you on a Saturday? You know, we gotta we have to work out how we can work harmoniously together. And for me, you know, as a professional club with you know, a club with a professional license to play in the A League. We need to be that pinnacle of 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 opportunity for, for young boys and girls. So um I'm I'm really passionate about the pathway. I'm I'm really passionate about um bringing back that um incredible nostalgia of Australian soccer. I think that it's nothing to be afraid of. It's actually something to embrace and um yeah, I just um I know that over the next couple of years that um, we're really focused on getting those relationships right again and making it very clear to everyone that although that we're a professional club, you've got to get rid of the arrogance. You know, you've got to get rid of this, this, um, perception that you're bigger and better than everyone else because it's simply not true. Just the, the stadia situation there is a really, really intriguing one. And I'm sure it's something that you personally, you know, it's your mission to tackle stuff like that, right? Because it's the one thing that as a community, we're looking at Brisbane saying, you know, something needs to give here, right? Mm. Um, the, we know the situation with, with Ballymore is obviously it's, it's, uh, the women are going to be playing there. Is there more of a, a situation to try and shift the club to, to play at a stadium like Ballymore? Or is it too much of a logistical nightmare with where it's geographically based and public transport and things like that? Where, where are you at with that? So very similar to yourself, I have been sitting on the sidelines for a long time, frustrated with the, the lack of infrastructure for football in Brisbane and in Queensland. I think that um, Ballymore was, one, a, a decision that was previously um, historically agreed before Kaz and I coming on board, which needs to go on record. Um, but, however... Kaz and I do believe that for now we have to be in Brisbane. Now, if you look at there's two there's two uh, ways of looking at this converse, this this question here. One is the the Brisbane raw of how we rebuild the club, and the second is the infrastructure problem. The Brisbane raw problem of was a poor commercial decision in my opinion to go to Redcliffe. 
losing half our supporter base because it is you know, an hour, 45 minutes to an hour drive outside of Brisbane. We lost half our supporter base because we lost connection to Brisbane. Now, in Brisbane, again, being Queenslanders, being tribal, being very passionate about our state, our city, um, very similar to Perth and Western Australia, really, um, our supporter base just lost its connection to the brand. And so when you think of rugby league in Brisbane, you think of Broncos. When you think of AFL in Brisbane, you think of Lions. When you think of soccer in Brisbane, you don't really think of, like, you just don't think of Raw. Like, it's just, it was just lost there for a little bit. So it wasn't like this in 2012, 2013, because it was uniquely Brisbane. Everything was Brisbane. And so Kaz and I are very passionate about playing in Brisbane, hence why we brought it back to Suncorp. We're playing games at Ballymore and we're playing some games at Perry Park for the women. Now, if we go to infrastructure, there hasn't been a big show of public support um, in and around football, but there is a big public support in creating more multi uh, rectangular multi-sport stadiums, right? So there's a big investment into the Gabba looking into 2032. Um, Ballymore is a really interesting project. You know, Raw trained there, say, 10 years ago under in the Ange era, and it's had a major, major um, facelift. And it is a boutique stadium, you know, current capacity is five to 6,000, um, which suits us perfectly from an A-League women's perspective. And it really creates a, an amazing match day product that Kaz and I are trying to build because the biggest learning for me, guys, with full transparency in the last two months is that we are in an entertainment company. We are there to entertain people, right? So on a match day, our product has to be good. And that goes to, to the music, to the lighting, to how a fan um, go, go, goes to a precinct, how a fan safely exits a precinct. All of these um, micro details have to be thought about. And so, you know, our experience in pre-season playing the Australian Cup game at Perry Park, having four or 5,000 people at a historic Brisbane venue, rectangular venue, um, food trucks, you know, you know, Scribe playing not many, um, you know, first A-League song, Chad Gibson being our creative director. Um, you know, there was a there was a feeling that night, um, although we don't, you know, necessarily encourage flares, but it was just that atmosphere of, of, of what we all want to feel. Um, so I think that there is a there is an issue at the moment with, with facilities, absolutely, and that's something that Kaz and I have just started over the last month um, engaging with, with council and local government on ways that we can work collaboratively together to actually get it right, um, especially with the momentum off the Women's World Cup leading into 2032 Olympics. There's a lot we can do there, but it's going to take some time. I definitely feel it's shifting, but it's all based now around multi-sport and, has, and it has to go back to community um, and, 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 and not just be... Um, funding purely for soccer it will we will never get it it has to be multi-purpose um and that is the that is the way that we'll see uh, more infrastructure in brisbane and queensland the, like it's, it's interesting because you say it has to be multi-purpose um yet you know i look 20 minutes from where i am right now we've got a here in south australia we've obviously got cooper stadium and that's pretty much one purpose right so how come a, a city like Brisbane can't, I guess, facilitate for football like that. Like, what's the? Is it a perception thing? Is it just? Is it just because the other sports are just way bigger and it just has to be 
you know, football just has to be shoehorned with the other sports. Like, what's what's your kind of view on that? Coopers is probably my favourite stadium in Australia, exactly <laughs> for that reason, right? It's just, I made my debut there. You know, you, you, you're literally on top of the players, how close you are, and it is um, the perfect size. And again, a big part of what I feel that match day experience that Adelaide fans get and the reason why you have, you know, you've, you the club in um, in South Australia is doing so many things right, but you have that stadium that you call your home, right? It's yours. And I, and I, and I, I do believe that it can happen. I just believe that in Brisbane, where we sit today is that where even though um, South Australia is an AFL town, an AFL city, mm. um, we're very rugby focused up you know up mm. here we're very rugby league rugby union town country town um and it's been that way for a long period of time so it can shift absolutely the women's world cup did a major um uh helped us incredibly to to, to shift the mindset and actually really encourage a lot of um uh young girls to dream about being on that stage which was incredible to see so many um, politicians, government officials at games experiencing that atmosphere because we all know that there's nothing like you know a football atmosphere. Um, however, just being around conversations over the last kind of two to three months, I just feel that it's very difficult, guys, to go and seek you know hundred to two hundred million to build a new stadium. It's a lot easier to raise your twenty to thirty million to actually upgrade a stadium. Hence, why. I'm so passionate about seeing boutique stadiums in Brisbane like your, your Ballymores and very much like your, 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 you know, your football Pacific stadiums like your Perry Parks and others that are on the horizon getting redeveloped or a facelift that they, they don't need $100 million to really see the upside and what fans you know, really crave in, in, in going to a, you know, a, a Pacific football venue. You know, somewhere like Perry Park, I know that there's been a lot of talk around it um, for a long period of time. That stadium is has an incredible opportunity to be, um, you know, the best five to say twelve thousand seat stadium in Australia, in my opinion. Can I ask? Because um, you know him very well, and you mentioned the politicians and and um, everyone who was out supporting the World Cup. And Graham Arnold had some interesting comments recently where he said. Don't know what happened. They left us cast at home. Um, <laughs> what, what what did you make of those comments? Um, and I mean, do you agree with them at all? Do you, do you disagree? Are you just neutral on it? What 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 what'd you make of that? No, I I agree with Arnie. I, I I love how outspoken our leaders are. You know, the likes of Graham Arnold and Ange Postecoglou. Like, I love the passion, and I love that they're just happy to rip the bandaid off at, at, at times. And I think that over the last. T- kind of 10 years people are quite scared to give their opinion they're quite scared to just be honest and upfront and just you know tell it how it is in a way and i think that hearing you know our uh, australian coach come out and just say come on like we enough's enough we've, we've really got to start seeing some some money poured into into um you know infrastructure in our country we see these big oval stadiums you know we we see these big, you know, Suncorps, kind of, you know, Amy Parks, Alliances, um, but it's time to start to see smaller boutique stadiums and let's let's have an ability to then grow those stadiums just like they do in Europe. You don't need to start with a 60,000, 70,000-seat stadium. We can start at a ten to 12,000 Coopers and grow it just like Coopers have. So I I, I concur with, with Arnie. I think that there's, 
you know, we talk we talk so much about legacy leading into the to the FIFA Women's World Cup, and I just hope that you know, especially with the with the, with the change of governments in different states and and how we look at it federally, I just hope that we can start to see more infrastructure, um, you know, really build those boutique stadiums in Australia. Something that you touched on earlier, Zach, that I think you puts you in a fairly unique um, position. Brisbane and Queensland are, in fact, going to have an infrastructure and a funding drive with the 2032 Olympic Games. Football is an Olympic sport. The Olly Roos and the Matildas have technically already qualified for the 2032 Olympics. Knowing that that kind of gives you a leg to stand on, are you excited to, I guess, explore that more? Just given that, obviously, you know, pandering to rugby league clubs is one thing, but to say, hey, we're actually going to have our own sport and our own players representing the country on this stage in Brisbane. Um, is that a, a, something that you're looking to explore? And is it something that you've sort of spoken to people about in order to get more football infrastructure on the way? Mate, absolutely. We're actively exploring it. Um, and it's interesting because even our Lord Mayor is a, a really passionate football supporter. His dad immigrated from Germany and his favourite club's uh, Borussia Dortmund. And so, you know, there's there's a love for the game here. We're, we are a rugby league, rugby union town, but we have this little event called the 2032 Olympics coming to town soon. And there is a buzz around the city. There is a lot of infrastructure um, getting built, um, but their the land is finite. And there are a couple of really strategic locations that need a facelift. And I think that's why strategically key players are really banding together now looking at the opportunity. But to your point, I I do believe that there will be change in the coming years. I feel like it's really going to happen in the next kind of 12 to 24 months with a, a state um, election in September next year. I feel like it's the time now to really see parties come together and, and find by bipartisan support to really, you know, build on this next kind of progression in sport in, in the city and, and um and in the state. So there's some great there's some great stadiums that have built being built up north, but I do feel like it's coming. And um I just feel like we're in this moment right now. I feel it having conversations with QRU at Ballymore. They're so eager to to complete Ballymore now. They've they've done half their stadium, they've got half to go. Um, you know, they're really pushing for that to, for the for the rest of their funding at Ballymore. They're very keen to to find that public support to be able to finish that that stadium, and I believe that they will. Um, but from a football perspective, um, Rob Cavallucci at Football Queensland is doing a fantastic job to really build on that bipartisan support. You know, lobbying government, building the story. But again, it has to come back to what, how is it benefiting the community? Because if it's not going to benefit the community, it's very hard to go and raise funding publicly. So I just feel like it's, it's a much easier sell to go and, and look at a, a precinct or a venue that has existing infrastructure that then can be built upon rather than going and starting from scratch. Yep. Um, I think, uh, not not many people would uh, would disagree with that. Um, it would be it would be Marissa me not to I guess ask you about this. And you mentioned election next year, and Anastasia Palaszczuk is a person who's come under a lot of criticism from football fans um, because someone who is a legacy ambassador, and a lot of football fans feel okay. Well, if you're a legacy ambassador, then where's the legacy? So yeah. um, you know, uh, I guess I don't, I'm not sure how to phrase it, but. <laughs> You know, you're already mentioning anyway, you're hoping for 
and you feel it's coming as well, um, what would your message, I guess, be to maybe football fans, particularly people in Queensland who, football fans in Queensland who might be frustrated at the government for, for that lack of football funding? For me, it's, it's, it's quite simple. You know, I, I love data analytics. Um, I try and be as objective as possible, even though, you know, I'm a football man. Um, but participation's there and we talk about it year after year. It's only going one way. And I also believe with the issues around concussion now in other sports, we're only going to see more parents drive their sons and daughters into football. And so with this increased participation, um, I believe that, you know, riding off the Women's World Cup, state election next year, I really believe that it's an absolute no-brainer to bring um, people together and look at how we can, uh, you know, bring in government support, bring in council support, work with local clubs, work with community, bring a professional club together, build the pathway. For me, the pieces are there now. Maybe a year, two, three ago, you know, you went from a really successful period in Brisbane Rules history through some pretty difficult moments into COVID. Now coming out for Kaz and I being very clear on where we want to take this club, I think that this is the best time in the state, in the city, in the club's history that we can really work together because I do believe that it takes, you know, a village to raise a child in a way <laughs> to bring everyone together to be able to put this um put this plan into action. And we've got we've got the momentum, we've got the time. For me it's around um finding the site, being very clear on the object- objectives, being very clear on how it's going to benefit the community. And if we can tick those three pillars, I believe that you've you know you've you've got a formula for success. In terms of that action plan, I know that obviously you can only do so much from within your role, but obviously a big part of trying to get government on board, trying to get the interested parties involved, is obviously having a team that that wins and having a team that people want to follow. So in the short term, you know, it looks like there's a bit of a turnover happening under Ross. What couldn't you speak to that's happening sort of on the pitch uh, for the moment that you're you're looking forward to to getting more sort of stuck into? I, I can't speak more highly of Ross and and his coaching staff of what they've been able to do to really get the players to buy into what we want as a club. You're absolutely right in regards to on-field success really correlates to membership. It really correlates strongly to that feeling and momentum of support. And especially in Brisbane, Brisbane is well-known um, to really get behind a team that's winning. So we understand that you know driving that winning culture and mentality is super important, but you've got to, we've got to get the foundations right. And even though in pre-season we've had some momentum and success, we're we're very honest and transparent and clear with ourselves of where we're currently at and and what needs to be done and we're we're not at all getting ahead of ourselves. However, it's going to take the next two or three windows to get it right, and we know that we can't uh, affect you know immense change from you know the very first transfer window that we had. Kaz and I inherited you know ninety five percent of the team. We have an in, in incredible um, men and and women's program. However, we do know we need to refresh it. We do know that um, if there's going to be changes. There's going to be you know men and women that are going to be here for a day, a month. Um, you know, potentially years, but there's going to be change and there needs to be change. The one thing I will say is that Ross, um, when we arrived, 
um, was provided, I guess, information. Um, he was he was he he agreed to come on board, you know, with the um, with the prerequisite that things were going to be quite different because he was, you know, you know, in a lot of ways, promised the world that um, not, wasn't necessarily here. He was kind of Fugazi Fugazi monopoly money. Um, and when Kaz and I sat down, we had a, we had a we had a frank conversation with him. You know, it was just so refreshing for him to, you know, really buy into what we wanted to do as a football club. And one of the things that we we Kaz and I realised is that success a lot of the time, which also happened at Brisbane Raw, follows players and coaches. And what I mean by that is the philosophy and blueprint of most football clubs comes with a coach and leaves with a coach. And we don't want to be that model anymore. What we want to uh, imprint on our football club is that you're going to have coaches that come and go. You're going to have players that come and go. You've got to have a transition plan and you've got to have a strong philosophy and DNA for who you are. Because what we want to be, is we don't want to be the club that sacks coaches every six months or six weeks. What we want to, what, what we want to be is a club that sees players come and leave as better people and players and we want the same for coaches and so if we want to create that kind of culture and dna you've got the, the blueprint and the philosophy and 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 the methodology has to be a club one it can't be a coach's one and so now recruitment decisions for example don't just come from the coach it comes from a round table discussion where we all sit down we have a clear you know 10 step uh recruitment strategy that we sit around the table the football department kaz and i and we discuss every strategic man, woman, boy, girl that comes from our football club. And the reason for that is we don't want players to come to this football club off a YouTube clip or you know off um, one recommendation. We want people to buy into that decision and we want everyone to feel accountable um, for decisions that are made. And we're not going to always get it right, but we want that collective accountability across the board. So we're, we're, we're heading into a into a really serious um exciting time for the football club but you're 100 percent spot on results absolutely matter short-term results help but we also know we've, we're very uh, aware that we're in a in a rebuild year and it's going to take some time to really refresh rebuild and get this club back to where we know it can be and just just quickly also on the on the women's side of things because you do have to make a gallop on on the cards in a matilda that is quite a marketable personality um, and obviously Gareth McPherson's been trusted with, with the job again. So in terms of the women's program and trying to prop that up in a state like Queensland, where, you know, the overwhelming majority of that Matilda squad are Queenslanders. I mean, mm, does that, does that, you know, fill you with uh, a bit of responsibility there to, to carry on that legacy yourselves? The, the women's program is the shining beacon in our football club. Why? Because it's worked so well with Football Queensland and the QAS for a number of years. We share resources with QAS. We share resources with Football Queensland. There's a clear pathway for young girls to progress through FQ, to progress through QAS into that women's program. And so attracting players like Tamika Yellop, who are Queenslanders, who you know, is from the Gold Coast, who went through the QAS um, system, who played for you know, Brisbane Wall, who went overseas, who is a Matilda. You know, she's more than just a player. She's a mentor to all of these girls who are coming through. As you said, she's incredibly marketable. But, you know, you know, first and foremost, she's an incredible player. And so, you know, we 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 are you know very you know grateful to have to have Meeks, um, you know, come back post a post World Cup to really you 
know, help, you know, our, our young players coming through. But our women's program when we arrived eight weeks ago was an absolute um shining light from from a from a kind of uh, outside looking in, but internally it was a disaster. And I'll tell you why. Because there was no resources there. There was, you know, I had I had you know conversations with players who you know would say to me you know a list of twenty things that they didn't have they didn't you know they didn't have you know, enough equipment you know they 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 didn't have the resources that they they deserved to have so Kaz and I had to work extremely diligently in a in a very short period of time to get it right for the women to actually resource up uh, as much as we possibly could to be able to empower them and 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 to be able to drive them to to actually own. Uh, a lot more accountability um, for their own performances, because as you can appreciate, um, you know, as, a, as, a, as as the Brisbane Roar, you know, we we need to demand more of our players because we do expect to be, you know, um, uh, you know, higher up the table every year. We do we do have um, high standards of our players, but unfortunately, you know, from a women's perspective, they just didn't have the resources that um, that the men had. So there's there was a lot of work to do there. Um, there's still, you know, more work to be done. However, uh, you know, going and seeing the women play in Melbourne last week, you know, filled Kaz and I with immense pride. Um, seeing, you know, the amount of staff there to see, you know, um, the the squad that we've assembled. Like you said, you know, um, you know, large majority of of the squad is is, is Queensland talent. So it's exactly the model that we want to aspire to be. Um, and you know, there's a lot of learnings that the that the men's side, the the men's program, can take from the women's program. Yeah, um, interesting stuff. And the other the other thing you mentioned, or not you mentioned, but that was announced recently, was Ben Khan as the new uh, youth technical director. Now, interestingly, that was announced around the same time that you played Melbourne Knights in the Australia Cup. But I'm I'm I'd be shocked if uh, that was just a five minute conversation after the game. Hey Ben, do you want to come and head up our <laughs> <laughs> a little, little bit strategic a little bit strategic yeah. it would have been a little bit awkward yeah no no we're just you know thrilled to 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 have Benny Khan um, Ben is is someone that I have worked with in the past he is he is a young um, or you know well, would that have been when he was involved in the Mariners or I, 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 yeah I um, at the back end of my Mariners career I um I did. Um, ben was working with the youth team. Um, I he, I also worked with Ben when I came back to Brisbane um, when I just got back from Singapore at Olympic FC. Um, I, I saw the way that Ben operated at MPL level. I saw the way that Ben operated um, at, uh, in, the, in the youth academies. He's he's a hungry, ambitious, um, incredibly determined uh, coach who um, will have a long career in the game and. Um, I I knew that I need to make big changes if our DNA is to identify, nurture, and develop young talent. We had to get the right people to drive that program forward, and attracting someone of of Ben's caliber for us was, you know, an incredible feat, but also you know a humbling moment to to have someone of his quality join our program, um, considering the amount of offers and interest that that he had, um, especially coming off the fact that. The season that he had in Melbourne, being coach of the year in the you know the Victorian MPL, um, but it showed us that he wanted to be a part of the journey that we're on, that he bought into the vision that we have as a, at our football club, and he wanted to see this club succeed. So, um, 
we're we're you know extremely excited to get Benny. He he understands what we want to achieve here. We're starting to build out that NPL under twenty threes program now. Um, we've got Richard Greer, another Queensland uh, aspiring coach, coming through. We've got some other really exciting announcements to be made in the next couple of weeks. Um, but again, just like the women's program, we're bringing all different programs and verticals together as one club where before it was quite fractured. They're all kind of sitting in their own, you know, kind of seat on the bus. We're bringing everyone together now and um, we're really building a, a one club philosophy, but getting the, the best people on the bus. And it, and it really starts with, you know, get going out and, and, and getting the best people um, and, and then starting to, you know, really focus on, you know, delivering, delivering on what is our strategic vision. And if we want to be a club that, 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 you know, is a net exporter of talent, then we need to get the, you know, we need to attract the best coaches and we need to attract the best players. And this, this feels like a slightly uh, bizarre question, but given all the things you've been describing, um, <clears throat> when we talk about, you know, leveraging for maybe government funding, we're talking about youth development, all of this, like, does actual results on the pitch weirdly come kind of lower down on the, on the, on the, um, list for you at the moment or, um, no, nah, not at that- all. Yeah. Not at all. Not at all. Because as you know, you can't be a net exporter of talent if you're not successful on pitch, right? So we we are very um we are very honest with ourselves with where we're at as a football club. But yeah, we've had some success through through preseason. Yeah, it's great to to see um that that culture start to build. But I do believe that the success that we've had on pitch currently comes down to having a really resilient, strong culture that's formed within the playing group of both the men and the women and that now needs to evolve that now needs to be better we now need to look at refreshing bringing in more you know new ideas progressive ideas better players to be able to push our players to a to a whole nother level a whole nother standard so i as 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 much as i talk about um identifying nurturing and 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 developing young talent that don't think for a second that takes away from my desire and ambition to win football matches kaz and i are the, are the worst losers in the world there's never there's never a a match that we go out to to not win but um we are we are so focused on getting the foundations right and i think that that's that's the clear message for kaz and i because we just know that our our end game is to win but if we don't get the foundations and, and, and the pillars right today, then it's going to not really set us set ourselves up for what we want to achieve in the next two or three years. We really need to get this part right now, uh, and then we'll be able to build on that success. Just quickly, um, because obviously Kaz is chairman and CEO, you're the COO, and just out of interest, day to day, like is that it's you and Kaz every day talking together about different ideas, what we need to do, this, that, and the other, or do you have kind of different things that you're looking at on a day to day basis? I'm sitting in our office right now. I sit here. Kaz sits right there. And um, we are <laughs> sleeves up every day, every single vertical. But with all jokes aside, we are across everything. And we have to be because the business is distressed. What Kaz and I made a pact to ourselves when we started two months ago was we were going to give this this opportunity everything. We we understood the task that was at hand here. Um, we understand our roles and responsibilities. Kaz, as CEO, Chairman, um, and someone that I respect, you know, immensely is, is, um, across and, um, an ultimate decision maker at the end of the day. I, as COO, I really focus on all verticals of the business right now because I just need to be in the micro of the detail, being quite reactive day to day. 
but I look over marketing, memberships, commercial, um, football. I look over all of the verticals to, to, to look at ways to improve the business. But ultimately, my focus is on the football and getting the football strategy right. Um, you know, together with Ross, together with Kaz, we come to the table and we, and, and, and we work on, um, how we can improve the, the men's program. And the same, I do the same with Gareth on the women's side and I'll do the same with, with, with Benny on the MPL youth development side. So, you know, Kaz and I have, we have a great working relationship. Um, you know, you, 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 you really can't go into an opportunity like this and not want to, you know, work 20 hour days to really turn around a business if you don't really have a passion for it and, and you don't have a passion for the people that you're working with every day because it's, it's a collective effort. But we also know our strengths. We know our lanes. We know what we're good at. We know what we're not good at. And it's really about just leaning on each other and pushing each other every day to, to try and get that 1% better. Just quickly as well, um, you obviously played in Asia a lot. You mentioned how, you know, when you were over there and that kind of piqued your interest a little bit in actually getting more involved in, in the business side of, uh, of sport and, and football. Is that something, you know, Asia using maybe ties connections in Asia? Is that something maybe way further down the line potentially that? You might look at it all, or or is or is that something that's never really crossed your mind? I, being a, a football person, um, I, I, whilst I was playing, I was never interested in going to coaching. I was always interested in business, and so naturally, I kind of gravitated towards the idea of 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 running a football club, um, being you know, being a part of you know top administration to be able to make change and and to do to really drive. A really strong product forward. Um, being in Asia really opened my eyes to, uh, the, I guess, the level of interest in football because I guess from from an Australian perspective, we don't really appreciate how much uh, globally this game is loved. You know, I played in a, you know, in Malaysia for three years. You know, in you know, in a relatively small league, but I played in front of forty thousand people every week, and so. You know, to to many that just seems absolutely crazy, but for me that was my Europe because I wasn't good enough to go to Europe, but I was I had the opportunity to play in front of you know, um, you know a huge supporter base. So, you know, going and experiencing Malaysia, Singapore, um, going to do, to the, to the Middle East for for a period of time, it just makes you appreciate that that the game is is the world game. And so, um, you know, I I always you know. Had had the ambition to to progress my you know my skill sets and and to be able to utilize my passion for the game to 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 drive a to to drive a, a strategy um to to empower people to you know work on how we could um you know progress the game and progress a football club but um for me it's it's not it's not necessarily about you know coming back um to to necessarily change and and do anything different it's about um really focusing on um what we can do really well uh and i just know that we have such an opportunity here at brisbane um with a club that's been quite, you know lying quite dormant for 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 a period of time to really you know turn around and and create a beast out of this organization and also you mentioned how you're overseeing a lot of the a lot of different strategies. Marketing is one of those, and we've seen you quite a bit on Instagram. Um, yeah. over, <laughs> over I've been copping yeah. some heat. I've been copping some heat. My IG lives. My, yeah, my... yeah, your IG lives. Um, give us <laughs> give us a bit of background into um 
kind of the communication side, what what yeah. what you're trying to do there, um, in sure. particular, because it definitely seems to be, and even now talking on this podcast, very open, very transparent. Um, yep. and is that, I guess, that's the foundation of of the new communication strategy from the club. Yeah, absolutely. We we just want to be as open and honest, and I think that fans appreciate honest and you know transparent communication. It's it seems crazy to me that. Um, fans don't have access to the inner workings of, of the club or the business that they love. You know, we, we, um, there's no ego here. For us, it's about un- bringing the fan on the journey, you know, really connecting with the community and, 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 and allowing the, the fan to actually understand the journey that we're on. And doing an IG live is just a representation of, um, no, no, no real planning, right? Just a live in the moment. I'm on IG because I just want to speak to to phone. I want to speak to camera about what I'm doing right now and what I'm thinking. And so, you know, we jump on IG live when we go to you know to games um, because maybe I'm in the change room and I'm just I'm just thinking about you know the game or the moment um, or the excitement. Uh, I'm sitting with a player or I'm sitting in the office at you know 8:30 on a on a Thursday night um, on an amazing podcast and I'm just like you know what. This is what I'm thinking. It's been a long day. It's not been a great day. I've had these troubles with Ticker Tech, you know, logistical issues. But you know what? It's great because, you know, we've got a game in two days. I'm pumped. A-League men's are starting on Saturday. A-League women's, you know, coming off a win against victory. Um, so here I am, you know, not trying to not trying to pretend like, you know, we know it all. Not trying to pretend for a second that, um, you know, we've got everything uh, 100% spot on. But... We're willing to we're willing to show you and, and tell you the truth, and that's really you know, the idea behind IG Live. But also just being consistent, you know, really consistent across all platforms. And I think that for us as a, as a very small lean team, we don't have you know huge resources. It takes you know, I guess the chief operating officer to jump on IG just to to, to kind of promote you know what we're trying to achieve here as a football club. Yeah. So when you when you came to Brisbane Raw, did you say to Kaz? Listen, one of the one of the things I need to be doing is getting on <laughs> getting on IG lives. Okay, <laughs> absolutely not. Kaz, Kaz, um, Kaz hates TikTok, and I've been trying to get Kaz on TikTok for the last three years. But no, IG Live is just um, is just one platform. But we've seen you know the importance of you know Kaz's CEO management update. We've seen the importance of jumping on LinkedIn. Um, we've, we've seen the importance of jumping on great podcasts, big and small. Uh, jumping on radio with Rob Cavallucci from Football Queensland. Like the more opportunities we can get out and speak and answer questions and um, be honest, be authentic, tell people the truth, not try and hide when we're going through good or bad times, I think is important. Last thing I want to ask you about because it was obviously a massive story uh, in in the A-League this week in particular, um, the scrapping of the grand final decision, Unite round comes in. Um, just your overall thoughts, because I don't believe you or Kaz have, have publicly kind of commented on this necessarily yet. So, what 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 was your kind of thoughts on on that and 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 the decision? In a way, I'm quite relieved that it's over. Um, I absolutely understood the decision, and I said this to our advisory council when we met for the very first time, and the topic of conversation was all around the you know the Sydney Grand Final decision, and I just said to our advisory council. I understand commercially why the decision was made to go to Sydney. The problem that I had with it was how it was communicated and how it made fans feel. And tonight, I before this pod, I was on a call for an hour with our volunteers. And the reason for that is that it's in, it's so important for the fans, volunteers, supporters, every group to be heard. And so 
commercially, I understood the decision for the reasons why APL needed to, needed to do it. And I just believe all the APL needed to do was just to be a little bit more open with the reasons why they needed to make it. However, seeing what's transpired, we you know we went through some pretty dark moments there, um, which was which was really sad for for football in Australia. And you know, I think there's a lot of lessons, and we all need to be open to learning and growing and, and taking ownership of mistakes. Um, but I think that now that the decision's been reversed and we look at a unite round, I think it's the best decision for football in Australia. I, I honestly believe that um, the team that finished highest deserves to play a grand final. I was gutted that you know a month ago that we it was a month ago, a couple of weeks ago that we weren't be able to, we weren't able to play our Australian Cup final in Brisbane because Suncorp was unavailable and the decision was made that the game needed to play to be played at a top tier stadium. So I understand the decision, but I'm I'm I guess I'm just relieved now that it's behind us and we can learn from what happened and um we can look to a you know a unite round in a you know, a round of 27 Unite round where hopefully we'll all come together and have a great weekend. Yep, totally, totally, totally agree. Hopefully uh, that Unite round. Uh, Matt, you going? What's what's the situation there? Uh, for Unite round, surely. It <laughs> 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 doesn't matter about the WA distance, who cares? Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully I'll be there too. Exactly. So I think, uh, yeah, hopefully... It will be the right festival of football, I guess, uh, in, in, in the end, um, that, that the APL were going for initially. So yeah, um, Zach, absolutely appreciate it. Top stuff. Um, it was about an hour there, uh, of just, just getting your insights, uh, into all things that are happening, uh, up there in Queensland, uh, is terrific. And hopefully for any Raw fans that are listening, uh, you got a very good insight into what is going on with your club at the moment. Of course, A-League men's season starting. Uh, it's all very exciting at the moment. The women, of course, started last week and we had uh, record-breaking attendances in round one. It's fantastic as well. Um, but uh, yeah, without further ado, that's that's we're going to leave it there with the questioning. Uh, Zach, um, anything you wanted to, to add before we wrap up? No, Christian, buddy, thanks so much for the opportunity to jump on. Um, congratulations on, on telling the story of Australian football and let's just keep driving the game forward. Absolutely can't agree any more than that. Front Page Football, make sure you're following us on social media. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, TikTok, Threads, um, and oh, chuck us a follow on Spotify as well, uh, where you listen to this podcast too. Uh, and maybe even chuck us a review uh, while you're at it too. Um, and of course, Matt, I've got to plug this. First A-League round this weekend. We'll be back on this podcast with our usual A-League pods, weekly wraps. Uh, and I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. What uh, shenanigans we're going to get up to, um, and wild takes on different A-League games. Matt, are you, are you prepared? Uh, more prepared than I was when we sat together in that room in Adelaide uh, on the eve of the grand final. So yes, bring it, bring it on. <laughs> yeah. Might have to go listen to our grand final preview pod again, just to, just to get me extra, extra excited and pumped, uh, for the return of the A-League pods. But, uh, yeah, really looking forward to it. Once again, Zach, thanks for joining us. Matt, thank you for your contributions as always. And until next time, it's bye for now.